Ruth chapter number one. We uh, began a few weeks ago studying the story of the book of Ruth, and tonight we're going to be looking at the end of chapter one, primarily at uh, a conversation that Naomi had uh, with uh, the ladies of the town of Bethlehem. Uh, she returned to Bethlehem after being gone for a decade. And I've t- entitled the lesson, The Bitter Road to Recovery. The Bitter Road to Recovery. You know, there are a lot of things about how God designed the human body that are pretty amazing. And I think taste buds rank up there at the top. I mean, you think about how God created us to be able to um, sense what something tastes like. I mean, that's just, it's just really pretty cool. The way your body will uh, take and dissolve particles of whatever it is that you put in your mouth and it translates their substance into a sensation when they contact uh, particular cells on the tongue and then your brain will recognize that as either sweet or salty or bitter or sour or savory. And uh, it's just, a, just an amazing part of God's creation. Uh, how many of you, you had COVID, and when you when you had COVID, you lost your taste for a period of time? All right, a number of us. Wow, I didn't realize so many of us that was the case. Uh, I know that uh, for me, when I had it, um, I didn't lose my taste entirely because I could still taste salty things, but that was all I could taste. And it was very odd because I put a potato chip in my mouth and it literally tasted like I just put a spoonful of salt in my mouth. It was a very, very odd sensation. And I know some people who've had COVID and they still have never fully recovered their, their taste yet. And, um, you know, that's, that's, that's kind of sad to me because uh, the most enjoyable part of eating something is being able to taste it, you know? <laughs> and so, more, but more important than just enjoying food through your taste buds, Think of how much danger we would be in if we didn't have taste buds. I mean, what what way would you have to to guess beforehand whether or not this thing that you were putting in your mouth was safe or poisonous? And uh, the primary taste that that our brains use to distinguish whether something is potentially poisonous or probably safe is the sensation of bitterness. A lot of things that are poisonous to us have a very bitter taste taste to them. Now, there's some food that doesn't follow that rule. They tell us it's good for us, and it still tastes bitter, like broccoli and things like that. But as a primary rule, general rule, uh, the things that taste bitter are not uh, not generally good for you. Um, if you want a technical definition, bitterness is the most sensitive of the taste and is perceived by many to be unpleasant, sharp, or disagreeable. The ability to detect bitter-tasting toxic compounds at low thresholds is uh, considered to provide an important protective function. So in other words, God designed us so that that bitter, unpleasant sensation warns us, hey, this is not something that you want to ingest. So go eat a piece of chocolate cake instead. What does this have to do with Ruth tonight and our study of this book? Well, as we've seen already in this story, Naomi and Ruth as well both faced some very bitter circumstances in life. Of course, course, Naomi primarily we think of because she was the one who left with her husband and her two sons from Bethlehem to go to Moab uh, because of the famine in the land. But there in Moab, her husband dies. Then her sons marry Moabite women, but then her sons die. And then 10 years later, she 
hears that there's food back in, in Bethlehem, and she decides to go back. And she's on this road to recovery when uh, she tells both Orpah and Ruth that they need to go home to their families. Orpah leaves and returns back to Moab, but Ruth, as we saw last week, made the decision to, uh, to stay with Naomi, not only to follow her, but to follow the Lord. She became a believer in Jehovah God. But for Naomi, the recovery was not instant. She made the right choice, but we still see in her story that she's got a way to go, ways to go before she regains all her spiritual strength, you might say. Because of the bitter circumstances in her life, she has a, a lingering temptation to be bitter herself. And there are going to be times, many times in your life where you encounter circumstances that are unpleasant, that are disagreeable, that are bitter circumstances. And that can range from something that's merely just a little bit uncomfortable to something that is debilitatingly painful. And your instinct is going to be to get out of those situations as soon as possible and avoid anything like them in the future. Just like if you were to put something in your mouth that had an awful bitter taste, you'd spit it out and you'd stay away from it from, from then on. The same thing happens to us with trials and, and hardships in life. And just like eating bitter food sometimes leaves a bitter taste in your mouth, enduring bitter circumstances can leave a lasting impression that takes a long time to recover from. The pain of trials does not ever instantly disappear. Even when the trial is technically over, there is a time of recovery. And during the time of recovery, we will be tempted to allow the bitterness of life to cause us to have a bitter spirit. We can become bitter against others for what they've done to us. We can even become bitter at ourselves, as it were, for things that we regret and become self-loathing. But most dangerous of all, we can become bitter against God who allowed us to experience that bitter trial. While the road to recovery may be bitter, we do not have to be. By the grace of God, we can come through the trial and be better for it. So look with me tonight at Ruth chapter 1, and we're going to read verses 19 through 22 as we begin. If I can get there. There we go. Ruth chapter 1, verse number 19. So they too went until they came to Bethlehem, and it came to pass, when they were come to Bethlehem, that all the city was moved about them, and they said, Is this Naomi? And she said unto them, Call me not Naomi, call me Mara, for the Almighty hath dealt very bitterly with me. I went out full, and the Lord hath brought me home again empty. Why then call ye me Naomi, seeing the Lord hath testified against me, and the Almighty hath afflicted me? So Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabitess, her daughter-in-law, with her, and returned out of the country of Moab, and they came to Bethlehem in the beginning of barley harvest. Number one on our outline tonight, let's note the city's shock at Naomi's return. So picking up where we left off last week, Ruth made the decision to stay with Naomi and to place her faith in 
Jehovah, in the Lord God. When they arrived back in Bethlehem, the town immediately responded with shock and amazement. Look back at verse number 19. It says, when they were come to Bethlehem, all the city was moved about them. And the word translated moved there has the idea of uh, being distracted, to make a great noise or to murmur, to roar even, and to be discomfited. So this was not just a little bit of a stir. I mean, this was really an uproar in the town because Naomi was back. Now, Bethlehem was not a large town by, by any stretch. It's famous not for its size, but for the events that happened there. But it's still noteworthy that Naomi's arrival there made such an impact. We don't know exactly what their positions were before they left, but apparently Naomi and Elimelech were very well known in the town, and they had some measure of notoriety if her return was basically what we would call front-page news. Now there's an important detail here that we cannot overlook as we consider the story of Ruth. Who is it that is shocked at Naomi's return? It's the inhabitants of the city, but more specifically, it's the ones who knew Naomi 10 years previously. Why is that an important detail? Class, somebody tell me. They had left. So what does this say about the other people? They stayed and they survived. Why did, why did uh, Elimelech take his family out to Moab? Because apparently he thought they would be safer in Moab than if they had stayed in Bethlehem. Apparently he thought it was dangerous for them. They might not survive. They might die. And so he left. But now, 10 years later, the whole town remembers Naomi because they're still there. They survived. They made it through. That's an important detail. They didn't die in the famine, nor did they pack their bags and move away to heathen lands. By all accounts, they stayed where God wanted them to, and God met their needs. The danger that Elimelech feared was not as great as he thought. That's the point. And this is kind of review from our very first lesson a couple weeks ago. We must never allow fear to control us. God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. If Elimelech had stayed put with Naomi and his sons, God could have, and I say God would have, taken care of them. But this sets up a very important contrast between Naomi and the residents of Bethlehem. Naomi had such a hard time over the last decade that it seems like her old friends barely even recognized her. Do you notice how they addressed her at her return? What did they say? Is this Naomi? Is that you? That seems very much like a, a, a response or a reply of, of shock and amazement, and it's hard to believe that it's actually you. And I don't think it was just the fact that she was gone for 10 years, but the fact that those 10 years had changed her. She had lived in Moab for almost a decade. During that time, she lost her husband and two sons, and now she's returning to her home where there is nothing but uncertainty in her future. And as she returns there, they all see her coming back and say, is that you? Now, it's interesting that in 
In the original, the word they is in the feminine. So this is referring to the ladies of the town. They, Naomi's friends, are asking the question. The ladies that she no doubt spent much time with, they were shocked at how she had changed. There was no denying that she had seen some hard times. We should not deny our hard times either. Sometimes people respond to trials pridefully, pretending like they don't hurt, or putting up a facade that it doesn't bother them because they want others to think that they're so spiritual that trials don't affect them. But understand this, that when we respond in that prideful manner to trials, that we're shutting ourselves off from the grace of God that we need. There is suffering in life, and enduring suffering is one of the ways that we identify with the Savior who suffered for us. This is a, this is a pretty deep concept. I want you to think about this with me. When you suffer, you have an opportunity to identify with Jesus who suffered for you. And you can identify Jesus with Jesus through suffering in a way that you cannot identify with him when life's going good. 1 Peter chapter 2 talks about this. Verses 20 and 21. For what glory is it when you be buffeted for your faults, you shall take it patiently. But if when you do well and suffer for it, ye take it patiently, this is acceptable with God. Now listen to verse 21. For even hereunto were you called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that we should follow his steps. What steps? The steps he took through suffering. Jesus suffered for us, not just so that we could be saved for our sins, but so that we would have a pattern to follow when we suffer. And so when we go through suffering, we are having an opportunity to identify with Jesus. And to get to know Jesus in a, in a deeper way through our suffering. So as Naomi comes back, the people that stayed put and endured the famine were shocked at how bad Naomi looked. The one who left with her husband to try and escape the difficult circumstances. And really this is just another example of that truth that trusting yourself always has bad consequences. But trusting God always results in blessing. So here's a principle that I think we can draw from this. If God sends a trial your way, don't look for a way of escape. Instead, look for the way to walk through it with the Lord. Again, like the bitter substance in our mouth, we want to spit it out. With the bitter circumstances, we want to escape from it. But many times, it is not a way of escape that God wants us to seek. What He wants us to seek is how we can walk through it with Him. And when we walk through the trial with the Lord, we will come out better for it. Now let's look secondly at Naomi's summary. Naomi's summary from verses 20 through 22. I think about Naomi, and as I've as I've been going back and studying the book of Ruth this time, I've been really, really impressed more about 
Naomi in this first chapter about how, not only how much she endured, but, but how she had to recover from that. I mean, she had a long road of recovery, both literally and figuratively. Literally, she had to get from Moab back to Bethlehem. But then figuratively, she had to heal from a decade of pain and suffering. And we, we see in her story, there's several indicators that she had been very deeply affected by her trials. And at this point, she had not regained her full spiritual strength. You see, trials are to our spirit a lot like an injury to our body might be. If you injure yourself, that affected uh, part of you is going to take a while to heal. Might take a while to get full strength back to it. Um, if you, uh, for example, were to uh, break an arm or something like that, there's going to be a time that you're going to be in a cast. And once you get the cast off, it's going to be a little while getting your muscles used to working again and building that strength back up. Well, when we go through trials, sometimes they take a lot out of us. Sometimes they break us down. And God does that for a reason. It's so that, so that he can build us up properly. But that takes time. It's not something that happens in an instant. And Naomi had made the good decision to return to Bethlehem, but only a continued series of right choices would take her all the way back to where she needed to be in her relationship with God. And in verses 20 through 22, we see some of the steps and some of the missteps that she took in this early part on the road to recovery. I want you to notice these with me. First of all, the first step that we see her taking was admitting the circumstances that she had been through to herself and others. She admitted it. She didn't hide it. She didn't try to put up a front or a facade. She didn't try to sugarcoat it. She told it like it was. When the ladies of the town addressed her by her proper name, Naomi, she said, don't call me Naomi, but call me Mara. The word Mara there that she took as a name literally means bitter. The word Naomi means sweet or pleasant. You notice the contrast there. This word Mara is the same one used in Exodus chapter 15 where the bitter waters were made sweet and they called that place Mara. So she says, don't call me sweet or pleasant, call me Mara, call me bitter. And in this request of a name change, she was, she was recognizing how much her life had changed since she left Bethlehem. When she left, she felt like her life was sweet and pleasant, but she doesn't feel like she can say that any longer. She feels like her life has been and still is unpleasant and disagreeable. Now, I'm, I'm focusing on the fact that she is at least admitting her circumstances. And she's not trying to hide them anymore. She's not trying to, she's not trying to make it out to be anything other than it is. And that is an important step on the road to recovery when you have been through a trial, when you've been through a hardship. Until you're, you're, until you're ready to deal with things head on, you're never going to fully recover from it. So it's okay to admit that it hurt. It's okay to admit that it caused you pain. It's okay to admit that it caused you to question things. It's okay to admit that. I think too often we get the impression in Christian circles that we have to make everybody think that we're, we're, we're perfect. We got it all together. You know, the whole world can come crashing down around me and I'm going to be just fine. Look, you're not Superman. <laughs> You're not a spiritual superhero. 
You're flesh and blood like the rest of us. Let's just be honest. Sometimes life is bitter. But then there's another step she took, and that's the step of acknowledging God in her trial. But we see in her story, while she acknowledged God in her trial, she did not do it as positively as she should have. Notice what she says in verse 20 again, for the Almighty hath dealt very bitterly with me. So there's, there's two sides to this. First, I say good for her that she recognized the sovereignty of God in this situation. She didn't come back and blame her husband. She didn't come back and talk about those horrible Moabites. She came back and she recognized God was in charge of things. She recognized the providence of God in this trial. But at the same time, she fails to acknowledge some very important things about what God had done for her. Two that I see, very obvious. Number one, that God had protected her for a decade and now she's back. She doesn't acknowledge that. Number two, she doesn't acknowledge this virtuous young woman, Ruth, who has accompanied her back to serve her and to bless her that God's going to use this young lady in her life. She doesn't acknowledge that good thing that God had done for her. So she blames God for her trial, but she doesn't bless him for it. And that's a problem. Blessing God for trials is a mark of spiritual maturity. It takes a lot of spiritual strength to acknowledge both the sovereignty of God in our trials and the goodness of God in our trials. A lot of times, if, you, if, you are, if, you've been, if you've known the Lord for some length of time, you're pretty well settled on God's sovereignty. When something bad happens, you know God, God allowed it. That was God's doing. But to take that next step and, and believe that whatever God does is good, that's harder. Thankfully, we have encouraging examples in Scripture of people who did just that. I think about Job in Job 1 verse 21. He said, Naked came I out of my mother's womb. Naked shall I return thither. The Lord gave and the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. That's hard to say. But Job, even after he lost almost all of his material wealth and lost all of his children, he recognized the sovereign goodness of God in his trial. I think about Joseph in the Old Testament. What did he say to his brothers in Genesis 50, 20? He said, you thought it evil against me, but God meant it unto good. He recognized the sovereign goodness of God in his trial. We must realize that God is the one who's in control of our life. And even when other people make bad decisions, like Elimelech did, that affected Naomi, when other people make bad decisions that affect you, God is the one who has allowed it. And it will be God who will protect you through it. Whatever you're going through, God wants to use it to make you better. Let's notice another step she took on this road to recovery. She also revealed that she had adjusted her perspective on life as a result of trials. This was an important step. 
In verse 21, she stated that she went out full and the Lord had brought her home again empty. Don't miss the irony of that statement because why did they leave in the first place? Famine. What is famine? Lack of food. That's when your stomach is empty. But she said we went out full and now we're coming back empty. What she's recognizing there, what she's acknowledging is that she had a wrong perspective in the beginning. She does not acknowledge that God brought her home here, but she's still struggling with some things. She left with a husband and two sons. She came back with just one daughter-in-law and the memory of three funerals. Her husband had let her out thinking that they were going to starve, but and they needed to go to Moab and get filled up. But Naomi recognizes that when they left, they were really full because they had what was most important. They had things like a family intact. They were near the people of God. They were with in, in the place that God wanted them to be. And all of those things were more important than the sense of security that they thought that they would get by going to Moab. They gave all of those things up in a vain effort to try and guarantee themselves a less troublesome future. You know, how we view God determines how we view everything else in life. Your perspective on God is everything. And since we're sinful creatures, our view of God is in constant need of adjustment. How many of you wear glasses or contacts? Good bit of us do. Uh, those of us who have corrective lenses of some kind, if you're like me, you go to the eye doctor regularly. And every time you go, you hope that your vision hasn't gotten too much worse. You know, maybe a little bit of a change of your, uh, of your prescription. But, but usually the way it works is that as you get older, you require a little more correction to your vision because your eyes are not quite what they used to be. And so there's this constant process of adjusting to make sure that your vision is clear. Well, it's very similar spiritually. That throughout our life, we're going to need constant adjustment of our perspective so that our view of God is correct. So that we can see God for who He really is. So that we can understand the truth of God's Word as we ought to. And one of the reasons that God sends us through trials is to teach us more about Himself and about ourselves so that our perspective can be adjusted accordingly to come in line with the truth. That's why it's so important to trust God and not ourselves because our perspective is skewed. And if we're relying on our perspective and our understanding, we're always going to miss. We're going to be off base. Another important step that Naomi took on the road to recovery, she accepted God's rebuke. She said, The Lord hath testified against me, and the Almighty hath afflicted me. The word testify here has the idea of a witness on a stand giving testimony before a jury. One author said of this, When God corrects us, He testifies against us, and contends with us. And there are going to be times in our life where we, many times, 
that we need to be rebuked. I recently read a definition of what it meant to be rebuked, and it's really stuck with me. To be rebuked or to rebuke is to speak the truth or to deliver the truth to a situation that needs to change. Now, sometimes that rebuke is harsh. Sometimes it's gentle, depending on the severity of the uh, correction needed or the urgency of the correction needed. I know, though, when, when I hear about or I hear the word rebuke, I immediately think, oh, that's bad. I mean, if I were to ask for a show of hands, how many of you would like to be rebuked? None of us are going to say, oh, I would love that. Yeah. We don't automatically want to be rebuked. But being rebuked is one of the most loving things that God could ever do for us. Why do I say it's loving? Because Hebrews 12, 6 says, For the whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. God rebukes us because he loves us. A loving rebuke is one of the best things we can receive because it gives us the opportunity to correct what is wrong in our lives so that we can be right with God. And Naomi here recognized that through this whole trial, God was testifying, God was showing her things that were wrong that needed to change. She went on to say that Almighty hath afflicted me. And that word afflicted has the idea of being broken. And this is a very important step. Naomi admitted that God had broken her. Again, this is not something that we immediately think, oh, that's great, yes, wonderful, sign me up for that. But I'm not using the word broken here in the sense of harming to our detriment, but humbling. God broke her pride. She came back, for all intents and purposes, empty-handed. She didn't know how she was going to survive even. We see in the next chapter that just to be able to have enough to eat, Ruth had to go and glean in the fields, leftovers that the harvesters missed. They didn't have a trust fund that they would be able to live on. There was no certainty in their future. God had humbled her. We sometimes pride ourselves on being independent and self-willed, but that's not what God wants from us. What God wants from us is brokenness and humility. Psalm 34, 18, The Lord is nigh unto them that are of a broken heart and saveth such as be of a contrite spirit. Psalm 51, 17, The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart, O God, thou wilt not despise. And sometimes God allows trials to bring us to a place of brokenness so that he might draw us closer to himself. James 4, 6, but he giveth more grace, wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace to the humble. And when we see trials in this light, it's, it's truly a remarkable thing to think that the God of the universe would love us so much to orchestrate a series of complex circumstances involving an untold number of people and elements just so that our pride could be broken down and He could be closer to us. God loves us that much. 
It's evident that Naomi was still on the road to recovery. And on that road, she stumbled a little bit. She'd not fully healed yet. Her faith was still weak in some areas. She still lacked some spiritual strength. But God's grace was working, and it was God's grace that was going to redeem this bitter circumstance. And through God's redeeming love, Naomi would once again return to rejoicing. But as we close tonight, let's make this personal and talk about our situations. You are going to be hurt by bitter circumstances. The trials and hardships that come from living in a world of sin are painful. But even though life can be bitter, that does not mean that we have to be bitter. James 1, 2, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. John 16, 33, Jesus said, In the world you shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Now, whether you will recover and be better as a result of trials or become a bitter, unpleasant, miserable person all depends on how you respond to hardships. Naomi was working through these things. But there is a great danger in becoming a bitter person because a bitter spirit doesn't just hurt you. It hurts you and it hurts those around you. That's why Hebrews 12 says that we're to take heed, look diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you and thereby many be defiled. The word defiled in that verse has the idea of an infection. Because bitterness is a spiritual infection that harms the person infected and the people around them. How do we diagnose a personal bitterness? Simply evaluate how you view people and circumstances. If you're often angry towards a person for a wrong they've done, and you're unwilling to truly forgive, that's bitterness. If you, like Naomi, can only talk about the bad things that happened and not mention the good that God has done, then you're bitter. If you blame God but don't bless God, you're bitter. If you focus on the bad and ignore the good, that's a symptom of bitterness. And like any infection, if it's not treated, it's going to continue to get worse until it consumes you. So how do we cure the bitterness? How, how do we prevent it in the first place? Well, first of all, we must accept our responsibility to make right choices in response to bitter circumstances. It all comes down to how we choose to respond. What we think and say and do is up to us. No tragedy is a legitimate excuse to sin. Secondly, we must acknowledge the sovereign goodness of God. That is that balance of blaming and blessing of saying, yes, God allowed this, this was God's doing, but God knows what He's doing. God is good. God is in control of everything, and He uses everything for our good and His glory. Even the pain we experience, God intends it for our good. Next, if there's sin in our life, then we must accept God's rebuke and repent of it. If the bitter circumstance is a result of something that we've done, we need to repent of that. The root of bitterness thrives in the soil of a sinful heart. 
And then finally, we must walk in humble submission. How to avoid bitterness in bitter circumstances? Humbly submit to God's working in your life. Don't demand an explanation from God before you trust Him. Recognize that God's ways and thoughts are so much higher than yours, you'll never be able to fully understand everything He does. Just trust Him. No matter what happens, no matter how you feel about it, trust Him. Naomi endured over a decade of hardship. And it's no wonder she didn't fully recover overnight. The road to recovery is sometimes bitter. But by making the right choices and taking the right steps, the child of God can recover their spiritual strength and return to the place where they can rejoice in God's blessing again. Naomi would get there. God would redeem this circumstance. The road to recovery may be bitter, but we do not have to be. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your grace that you give that is sufficient that strengthens us to be able to meet every trial, to go through it in a way that is honoring to you, to learn more about you and how we can be more like our Savior. So Lord, I pray that we would adjust our perspective where needed to view our trials and to view our suffering not as something to escape, but as something that you've ordained we endure through your grace for our ultimate good and for your glory. And thank you that by suffering rightly, we get to identify with our Savior who suffered for us. I pray it in Jesus' name.